Good evening, everyone. If we haven't yet met, my name's Tom. I'm part of the clergy team. It's, it's wonderful to be with you tonight to share from this passage in Matthew chapter 9. So can I encourage you to grab a Bible, uh, turn to page 973, um, and in just a moment I'll read from that, and once we've um, all found our place, then I'll pray as we kick off. So let's pray as we start. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together tonight to worship you, to praise you for how good you've been to us, to share in your body and your blood, and now to hear from your word. And we pray that as we look at this passage from Matthew 9, that you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes to see Jesus, to see our need of you, and that you would fill our hearts afresh with your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me ask you, before we read this passage, when you woke up this morning, what was on your mind? What, what was the first thought that, that came into your head? And then maybe through the day, if you've had a moment's peace, if you've had a, a, a moment to reflect, what's your mind gone back to? Waking up. Very good, waking up. That's a good, a good first answer. On a surface level, what, what, what are the needs that you've experienced? If you, ask, if you ask me that question, the first answer is always going to be food. That's the first the, the first thought that comes to mind, I'm pretty much permanently hungry. Today is a great day. We had welcome lunch sandwiches, then we had a welcome tea with cake, then we had a tea with our mission partners this afternoon with cake, then we've got beer and pizza afterwards. So I'm very happy um, to be employed by the church today. It's a good day for that. Um, my proudest moment, perhaps, when I was in youth group, I was 16, I won the youth group profiterole eating competition um, with 43 profiteroles, and that was a, a very proud moment. It's probably all been downhill since. Thank you, Tim. There we go. I've got some support. I'd love to do that again. That would be a wonderful thing. Um, we'll see. I need permission from Sarah. Um, surface level. Surface level food, that's what I'm thinking. What, what do I need? What about one level deeper? Um, one level deeper, what, what is it that you need? What would make a difference to you? Uh, it might be money, it might be health, it might be something to do with your job. What are the, what are the things that our mind goes back to? But love, very good. And then one level deeper again. What's the greatest need? What's, what's the thing, the need that, that's at the center of all the other ones? What, what is it that if you had it would completely transform your life? What, what's our greatest need of all? There we go. I was, I, these are intended to be rhetorical, but this is fantastic. Are, are, we, are we sure we're in an Anglican church? I'm, not, I'm starting to start second-guess myself now. Our greatest need. And how do we even work it out? How do we work out what's on the periphery and what's at the center? Our greatest need of all. Well, let's read this passage from Matthew chapter 9, because Jesus does something quite awkward in the first few verses of Matthew 9. He completely redefines the way we think about what we need. So would you read with me from verse 1? Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up 
and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. It's a familiar story, but just picture the scene. Try and imagine what it must have been like when these, these four friends, they bring to Jesus a man who can't walk. He's paralyzed. Presumably they tried everything else, gone to every medical professional possible. They were desperate at their wit's end. They wanted their friend to have his legs back. And they bring him to Jesus, and they managed to get there. One of the stories says they had to tear apart the roof um, in one of the other Gospels to lower him down on a mat right into the center to get this man to Jesus. And Jesus sees him, and the friends must have been so excited, so nervous, thinking, we've got him to Jesus. We've done it. Our friend who can't walk, this is the moment. And Jesus looks at him and he says, son, take heart. And everyone's waited with bated breath to see what Jesus is going to do next. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. But who'd been talking about sin? The friends must have been so disappointed at that moment. Can you imagine them looking at each other and saying, does he not get it? He can't walk. Do we need to explain the problem to him? Jesus, we haven't brought him to you so that you can forgive him. He's fine. He's a good guy. We've brought him to you so he can walk. That's what he needs, Jesus. And straight away, we see something that's quite uncomfortable, if I'm honest, which is that Jesus doesn't seem to be interested in what everyone else is interested in. And he does. He goes on to to heal the man at the end of the story, doesn't he? He says, well, which is easier, to forgive his sins or to heal his legs? I can do both. So legs healed, great. And he does that because he cares about us and he cares about every aspect of our lives and all of the needs that we bring to him. But the point of the story is not that a man who couldn't walk was healed. The point of the story is that our greatest need is the forgiveness of sin. That's what Jesus saw when he saw this man and said, the first thing you need is forgiveness of sin, more than any other need. Just let that sink in for a moment. Because if you're anything like me, as I say that, you're thinking, well, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Forgiveness, our greatest need, really? Because it sounds a bit abstract, doesn't it? A bit like empty words in the air, a bit of a philosophical answer, almost a cop-out. What if you're facing cancer? Surely that's a more important need than some empty words like forgiveness. That's real. What if you're you're facing redundancy? What if you've lost your job? You don't know where your next meal's coming from. Surely that is more real than empty words like forgiveness of sin. What if you've got a a friend or a child who's in serious danger and you're worried about them? Surely that is more life. Surely our greatest need in a situation like that is healing or hope or a new job, something, something tangible. Uh, to be honest, when I first read this passage, you know that feeling when you know what the right answer is, but it doesn't really resonate in your heart. You heard the Sunday school story about a kid, and the Sunday school teacher says to the class, um, okay, children, what is brown with a long, bushy tail and really likes nuts? And the kid puts up his hand and he says, well, I know the answer's Jesus, but it sounds a lot like a squirrel. And he's confused because he knows the right answer but it doesn't seem to match. It's a bit, it can feel a bit like that with, with this, can't it? I know that my greatest need is forgiveness, fine, but it doesn't really feel like that, not, not up against real life right now. But what I hope we're going to see tonight, what I certainly found as I prepared this talk, spent time in this passage, there, there came a point after I'd spent some time studying this, this text, just when my heart suddenly caught up and started to beat a bit faster, and I thought, actually, yes. 
Forgiveness of sin is my greatest need right now. Me as I am. Uh, and when I get that, and when, when, it, when it connects and I realize that is what I need most, I saw that from, if you get that straight, your feet are on a rock and everything else, the ripples go out once you get it clear that your greatest need is forgiveness of sin. It changes everything. So that's what I hope we're going to see. And the reason that that is so central is that Jesus always leads us to the real source of our troubles. It's what he's doing in this passage. You and I, we, we think we know what we really need. We think we know what the, our greatest problem is. And we come to Jesus wanting what we think is the satisfaction of our need. We come with an agenda saying, Jesus, this is what I need. I want you to do this, then this, then this. We think we've got it. We've self-diagnosed. But the difference between my approach and your approach and God's approach is that we obsess over the symptoms whereas God is always concerned with the disease. And we don't understand his way. See, our culture would tell us, if you just look inside to find the real you inside yourself, find the wants and desires and needs that you have, find your your urges and your hungers and what you need. And if you just pursue that, if you're true to the inner self you find inside, you will be happy and life will be complete and everything will be okay. We're in the age of authenticity. That's what our culture says to us. But the problem with that, as Lynn said wonderfully in the healing prayer school this week, is that our our feelings, our emotions, our felt needs, they're like children. They need to be listened to and encouraged and taught. But if you put children in control, the household goes pretty crazy pretty quickly. We have to listen to and love our children, but not put them in control of the house. And it's the same thing with our emotions and our desires and our needs. We have to listen to what's going on inside. But we don't have to become enslaved by it, put it in control. It goes nowhere because it's only dealing with symptoms and not the heart of the disease. And that's why if tonight we all shared what the needs that we're facing, we'd find a huge Um, variety on the surface, disillusionment, disappointment, worry, anxiety, loneliness, fear, broken heart, you you name it. We're all facing different stuff. But if you drill down right into the center, we'd find a great similarity that we all have in common. Every single one of us, the needs and challenges that we're facing all flow from broken relationship with God. Not necessarily ours specifically. It might be that I'm suffering and facing a need because of something I've done that's led to that situation. It might be that it's something that someone else has done to me, that I'm the victim in the situation and that it's causing me a problem. And it might be more general than that, the way that the whole of us as the human race, as our society in total, has walked away from God, which means that day after day after day we're bombarded by values and priorities that take us away from the way that God wants us to live. Whatever the, the specifics... Our greatest need is reconciliation with God, the relationship with our creator that the first man and the first woman had. We don't actually know in this story if the paralytic, if the the man who was paralyzed, if the reason that he was paralyzed was directly bound up with a sin that he'd committed that needed forgiveness, if there was a causal relationship there, or if it was nothing that he'd been done, just that he'd been born that way um, and that the two are not directly connected. We don't know. But what we do know is that our greatest need at the core of everything else is reconciliation with God. That that's the disease from which all of the other challenges that we face flow from. And that's why it's the only route to the truly good life, to life as it was meant to be. 
And we can so easily fall for the fantasy that if only we could get rid of taxes or get that promotion or bring an end to war or get married and have kids or whatever the dream is, if we could only get to that next hill, life would be great. Everything would be fine. And we so easily fall for that, that fantasy, but the truth is that when we get there, sin would still blight our lives. We'd still be subject to selfishness and loneliness and disconnection and envy and rivalry and you name it. Because our central need is our disconnection with God. And Jesus cuts through everything else. He gets to the central cause, our greatest need, forgiveness of sin. Without this, nothing will satisfy us. But with this, nothing will shake us. And to be honest, it's something that we forget in England so easily, but our brothers and sisters around the world who are dying for their faith, they know this all too clearly. We had mission partners Joe and Sarah Harvey here this morning who are going out to Egypt, and we were talking this afternoon about some of the persecution they're preparing to face as they go to a, a Muslim country. We think of the hundreds of believers killed in Sri Lanka on Easter Day. I was just talking to Bob about the persecution that the Dalit community is facing in India and the church there. Our brothers and sisters around the world know as a lived reality that forgiveness of sin is the greatest thing and that it outweighs any of the trouble or hardship we face in life. But we take it for granted. We, we fixate on the immediate and the superficial for, for the fantasy that our circumstances are more important than our salvation. But... When we really get it, when we suddenly clock, when we, when, we, when we realize that without him everything else is hollow, but with him everything else makes sense, when we come to the end of ourselves, when we finally face our own impotence, our own limits, our own inability to get out of the hole we find ourselves in and we come to him, well, it's a great thing that we have a gospel that begins with this word. Jesus says, take heart. Son, daughter, take heart. Your sin is forgiven. Because our greatest need is met in Jesus. The greatest problem that any of us will ever have is met and sorted out by Jesus. This is the story of a man who met Jesus and went away different. So, uh, different. A man who met Jesus and went away transformed because that is what the gospel does. And it's, it's why healing is just the subplot of this Story, because the point is that he is the one who has authority to meet our greatest need. He sees the Pharisees' objections, the way they mutter about his pronouncement of forgiveness. And he performs the miracle as a sign. The miracle points to him, to who he is and to what he can do. And he says in verse 6, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Word son of man there is very important. It's the way that Jesus refers to himself. He often calls himself the son of man instead of saying I. But he's not doing it just to add words. He's, he's doing it because 600 years before Jesus, the, the prophet Daniel had a, had a vision in a dream. And Daniel, in this dream, he saw judgment day at the end of all time and all the nations of the earth gathered before the throne of God. But then he saw something that confused him. Daniel describes in chapter 7 how he saw a human being, and he writes, one who looked like a son of man, sitting on the throne of God, with all authority over every nation and tribe and tongue. Daniel saw a human being sitting on God's throne, and the Jewish people tried to work out what that meant. They thought it might be a metaphor for the people of Israel. But then Jesus comes, 
600 years later, and he says, that son of man who Daniel saw, the human being with all authority over every problem in the entire cosmos, I am he. I am the son of man who has authority to forgive your sin, and in me, your greatest need is met. I tried to... I I constantly stumble about the fact that the Pharisees, they just fail to recognize who they're speaking to. They're muttering and opposing and stepping back from the only man with unique authority to forgive sins. Um, And it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, doesn't it, when people miss who they're talking to. I came across this tweet um, from J.K. Rowling, just that's going to come up on the screen now. You've got J.K. Rowling, I don't know if you can read it, saying, Snape is all grey. You can't make him into a saint. He was vindictive and bullying. You can't make him a devil. And then someone's tweeted back to J.K. Rowling and said, no, Snape died to clear his conscience. It's been reshared a lot of times. You've got someone who's trying to talk back to J.K. Rowling and explain to her who Snape really is. He's completely missed the point. You don't get to tell the author about the character. It doesn't work that way. I saw an even sadder example from America in the next slide. You've got here a Native American who's being accused by, and the Trump administration ask him if he's here illegally. They've completely missed the point. So often people fail to realize who they're talking to, and they react in an appalling way. It's what the Pharisees do here. They fail to recognize that they are talking to the only one with unique authority to forgive every sin. Our greatest need met in him, and they step back. And it's because they didn't even understand how or why Jesus had this authority, but we do. See, Jesus' authority is in his death. He has the authority because he was the sacrifice. He has the right to remit the penalty of sin because he is the one who came into the world to bear its weight on the cross. He came not just to announce that God forgives, but to effect that forgiveness. Not just to say we can hope for forgiveness because God is nice, but to die on a cross and shed his blood so that we might be forgiven through his death on that cross. He bore the weight of sin himself so that we might be reconciled to God. And he rose again to prove that his death is victory. If we could just grasp this, that our greatest need is reconciliation with God and that it is met in Jesus, it changes everything else. You may feel tonight that you're at the end of yourself, that um, everything you've tried hasn't worked. You may feel in a hopeless situation. You may feel like you you can't achieve or get past what you need to. And the, the truth of the gospel is you don't need to because he has done everything necessary to meet your greatest need. It is already done. Here in Jesus, we have, we have hope for the hopeless. We've got help for the helpless. There, there is more grace in him than sin in us. There is not a single one of us who is beyond the bounds of forgiveness and reconciliation with God because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. So I ask you tonight, have you heard him say it to you? In the the situation you're in, in the place you are right now, have you heard the Son of God say to you, Son, daughter, take heart. Your sin is forgiven. How do we respond? What do we do with the good news that we have been given in Jesus? Well, there are two responses we see in in this passage. There's the response of the Pharisees, and there's the response of the friends. 
Uh, we, we so quickly forget, we cast the Pharisees as bad guys, but we so quickly forget that to the people of the day, the Pharisees were the good guys. They'd live in Woodford, they'd dress very nicely, they'd have a perfect job, a perfect relationship, perfect children, they'd be very respectable. They'd be here in church. But they would miss Jesus because they'd be self-satisfied, self-reliant, oriented towards themselves, not recognizing their need of Jesus. And in the Gospels, every person who ever encounters Jesus and is blessed by him recognizes their need of him. Jesus said, I've come to heal, uh, I've not come for the righteous, but the sick. He comes for those of us who recognize our need. Well, we do that tonight. When the Pharisees oppose him, the friends, they approach him urgently. Where the Pharisees rely on themselves, the friends cast themselves on him. The friends are determined to get to Jesus however possible. There's nothing half-hearted about them. The question for us tonight is, which will we be? For me, this looked like recognizing something this week. We've had the, the healing prayer school um, Monday through Friday here in All Saints. It's been a wonderful time of just seeing God bring release to lots of people in lots of different ways. And the thing that God did in my life was on Tuesday, um, when the, God just reminded and highlighted to me something about myself. And I'm the oldest of five. Um, and part, one of the things about being an oldest child, I think lots of us have it in common, is we're very self-sufficient people. And so I'm very autonomous, I'm very independent, and I like that. It's part of who I am. It's not a bad thing. If there's a problem, I like to solve it. If I've got an issue, I fix it. Um, and that's great. That's a strength. But it comes with a weakness. And, and part of the script that I operate, of, operate out of as a self-sufficient person is that I'm slow to rely on others when I ought to. I'm slow to recognize how much I depend on other people when really I do. And sometimes I can be self-reliant rather than relying on Jesus. And that's the attitude that the Pharisees had. And so I had to come before God this week, just on Tuesday, and open my hands and ask him to fill me again with his love, to show me how much I need him, to strip away the comfort and the pride that so often keep me self-reliant, not dependent on him. That's the contour of it for me, but we've all got to do the same thing in the way that fits ourselves and our own story. We've got to move beyond our, our comfortable self-satisfaction that leaves us reliant on us and not Jesus. We've got to move beyond the obsession with our own list of priorities for God that says, I need this and this and this, that doesn't recognize that our greatest need is forgiveness of sin because our greatest need is him. And so tonight, will you, will you come to Jesus? That's the call. Will you, will you come to him not to argue with him, but to submit to him, to live under his authority, not hold him at arm's length, to trust in him for forgiveness, not to look to yourself? Be like the friends, not like the Pharisees. And the story of Jesus is the story of forgiveness. Time after time in the Bible, we see stories of people who are standing not on their own good behavior, but on sin forgiven. It's a much more firm foundation. It's so much more stable than relying on yourself or your own achievement. Coming before God and saying, I need you. And standing on the grace that is ours in him. What are you standing on tonight? Our greatest need is forgiveness of sin, and our greatest need is met in him. So will you come to Jesus tonight, and will you find in him the hope that our hearts need?
And if you haven't done this before, we're just going to take a few minutes waiting in quiet. And we're going to give God the space to do what he would like to do in our lives. So I'll pray and then we'll wait and see what God wants to do among us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to meet our deepest need, our greatest need, forgiveness of sin. We thank you that you died for us when we were still sinners. We thank you that your love for us is overwhelming. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts now, that you would open our eyes to see Jesus saying to us, Son, daughter, take heart. Your sins are forgiven.